that's the case that we always make, especially when writing grants, is that um, we've done so much work on, on the guilt on the south side, um, and, but the other half of that equation is the boar side. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry, one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Genesis, the first power in genetics. Gestal, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. Minitube, the worldwide leading supplier of systems for the field of assisted animal reproduction. Merck Animal Health, driven by prevention. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. I am Laura Greiner, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsored highlight is about Minitube. Since 1970, Minitube has been at the forefront of assisted reproduction technologies, setting worldwide standards in reproductive technology and giving peace of mind to producers. Offering a full range of products and services, Minitube can increase the efficiency and reproductive health of swine operations. From the boar stud to the sow farm, Learn more at minitube.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Swine It podcast. I'm your host, Laura Greiner, and with me today, I have Dr. Carl Kearns from Iowa State University, who's currently an assistant professor in the Animal Science Department. Carl, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me today. Good. Well, we're glad to have you on. Um, Carl, some of our audience may not be familiar with who you are, so would you mind giving a little bit of a background as to you know, where you came from and, and what got you to where you're at today? Sure, exactly. So I uh, was raised on a small swine seed stock operation in southwest Iowa, um, some beef cattle as well, and then came up to uh, Iowa State for my undergrad education during 2010 and 2014. Uh, went down to University of Missouri for my doctoral studies in uh, boar reproductive physiology. Uh, looking more on the translational aspects and, and basic molecular aspects um, of what basic molecular molecular research uh, discoveries can we make and then translate that into the field. Um, likewise, what's going on in the field that we need to, to have a deeper understanding at the molecular level. Um, so then did my postdoc at University of Missouri uh, uh, in partnership with the med school there um, and then came up here to, universe, to Iowa State University um, for my current position. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I, I think it's really interesting to have this conversation because I really feel like the boar is the forgotten animal in swine production. We don't have, truly, we don't have that many boars when we think about the number of animals that we have, whether it's in the U.S. population or worldwide. And, um, you know, right, we just kind of see them as, as a means to the end to get the piglets. And we know they have genetic value. But when we think about management and technology, I just don't feel like they get the same amount of attention. Is do you feel the same way, or am I? Yeah, kind of off yeah, on no, that? exactly. That's that's the case that we always make, especially when writing grants. Is that 
Um, we've done so much work on, on the guilt and south side, um, and but the other half of that equation is the boar side. Um, and so there's, Mashoff's published some really nice data um, last fall in Farm Journal's Pork Magazine, uh, doing single sire AI and showing how uh, even though we could have normal motility and normal morphology over the 80% thresholds that we like to see, um, there's still about 25% of the boars that have less than 80% conception rates. Um, so oftentimes we think motility and morphology is, is the answer to, to telling fertility, uh, but it's almost like showing up to a workplace and sitting in a parking lot and watching people arrive to work and saying, I'm going to judge their ability to do their job today by arriving to work and how they walk to work. Um, that's unfair to humans. We know that doesn't tell indicate how how successful they'll be, um, and it's definitely not fair to boars. Um, and so I think that's one reason we often overlook it because we think it's so simple, uh, but there is a lot more underneath the underneath the hood than we realize. Yeah, I think that's very interesting, and I like the analogy. It was one I haven't thought of before. So what? what kind of things should we be maybe looking at or do we have any indications of if it's not morphology what it is sure so one i don't want to discount motility and morphology that's that's a bare minimum so it's a prerequisite uh, just like showing up to work uh, in the absence of remote work we have methods to remote work um, but you have to show up to do the job so we definitely need the motility and the good morphology uh, but after that um, there's multiple biomarkers we can look at to look at the mitochondria are they producing the energy needed for the cell um, are the acrosomal membranes good is the plasma membrane good uh, even like ion localization. So what's the, the zinc signature? What kind of pattern does the zinc look like? What does calcium ions look like? Um, there's a whole range of different uh, probes that we can look at that really give us a good understanding of, of the overall health of an individual sperm cell. Um, and then we can look at it on a population basis of part of each ejaculate. So is that something within an individual animal could change from time to time? So one collection is, is suitable and the next collection, maybe the zinc level is off. Is that is that a yeah. fair thing? Yeah, for sure. So uh, what we'll do oftentimes is run the, the sperm through an in vitro capacitation assay. So capacitation is the capacity to reach a fertilization functional state. Um, and we'll see not only and before we do the in vitro capacitation, but then also after their ability to achieve a capacitated state changes from ejaculate to ejaculate. Sometimes we have boars that have a, a high ability to reach a capacitated state, some that have a low ability, but then it's consistent versus inconsistent too. A lot of times we refer to uh, seminal fluids as seminal plasma, which uh, really is disingenuous because it infers that it's a homogenous-like fluid, well-regulated, hemostatically regulated like blood plasma, um, but that could be anything further from the truth for seminal plasma. Mm -hmm. So some of the techniques you're talking about to me sound like they could be a little bit time-consuming. And correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, because I'm obviously not an expert in boar production either. Um, and so I'm thinking about when I'm in a boar stud and I'm using a CASA machine or something where I'm doing a very quick analysis of the sperm cells, that's the items that you're talking about that we might need to further um, look at to understand those sperm cells. Is that something that's readily available and can be done quickly or is that something where they'd have to send off to a secondary lab? Yeah, so there's both options available, um, but no doubt it is it is expensive equipment to have within a, a bore stud. Um, the supplies are expensive and then the labor as well as we know the time, just the function of time, we don't have enough time 
in the boar stud when we're processing semen as it is. And so there are third party labs um, all across the US that, that can help with that. Um, and also it's it's possibly going on in the future good to validate and uh, boars before we introduce them into the final herd. Um, so we have an understanding of uh, should they be in the reproductive herd or, or not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's again too why we hear so much about well let's pool semen right so that we don't have to worry about maybe that that animal for that individual collection but yeah. I would agree if we can get the rapidity of the analysis done right there on the boar stud that would be really invaluable technology would it not be yeah, exactly. And but also on the pool side, it, it's been an insurance policy we, that we've taken out uh, as an industry. But then we're also at the the average of the pool, um, or even sometimes at the, the least common denominator of the pool as well. Um, there can be factors present, whether proteins or, or other uh, factors in, in the semen um, that give us the average or, or the lowest fertile fertility status of the boar in the, in the pool. And so I, I think it was good for a time frame that we didn't understand boar fertility very good. We didn't have biomarkers readily available and whatnot. Um, we'll eventually be to the point that we can predict a, an individual boar's fertility and then even titrate the sperm dose down to how many cells need to be in this to get a certain percentage of conception rate. Um, so I think that's a really exciting uh, area in the future that we can actually start titrating uh, uh, semen doses down to the, the effective dose size that we need. Um, and this is really important for genetic leverage. Um, I mean, when we looked at uh, artificial insemination coming into the swine industry, we went from one boar servicing 30 sows to one boar servicing 300 sows. Um, some facilities now are up to 700, 750. And so if we can start using the, the higher premium genetics across more of the sow herd um, and finish pigs quicker, have better feed efficiency, um, that's going to be helping move the, the swine industry in the direction we need to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people haven't, I mean, I think they understand, but maybe haven't really put the numbers to it to see what the economic return would be if we can expand sure. those animals. Uh, even further. And so certainly with things like PCAI, we've we've seen some of that technology at least allow us to do a better job. Um, but what I'm hearing you say is that there's actually the potential to maybe even go lower in terms of sperm cell counts, but it might be based on individual animals rather than just a general statement. So that might yeah. be something to look for in the future is how, you know, how we breed animals might be different from animal to animal. Yeah, and, and Dr. Billy Flowers did some really nice work on this um, in the early 2010s, um, showing how each individual boar responds to the, the dose size differently. And so I think that's going to be a really exciting part in the future um, and, and give something up for us researchers to chase after. Are you ready for the most innovative web conference of the swine industry? Swine Talks, the TED Talks of the global swine industry on October 6th and 7th, 2021, with over 25 internationally renowned speakers who will deliver powerful and engaging talks. Reserve now your spot at swinetalks.com. So when we think about where we're going, because you're talking about some exciting technology and potential changes in the industry that might be, I'm guessing, 10, 20 years down the road, maybe some of it. Sure. What do you what do you see as the things as to where we're going in the next five to ten years with our boars? Yeah, so ultimately, uh, 
it's nice how we can look at human uh, research and human health sciences um, and apply it to the ag field. And, and we do it the other way around to look at mRNA vaccines that we've used in the swine industry and using today. Um, but particularly if we think about cancer diagnosis in humans, um, one of the new hot trendy things to do is, is looking at label-free detection techniques. And so what that means is where we would traditionally use a fluorescent biomarker that tells us a, a certain aspect um, for cancer detection, looking at is cancer present or not. Um, use, simply looking at the bright field, um, how the, the image would look underneath a typical microscope, um, and using deep learning, artificial intelligence technology, um, so we don't have to look have every biomarker actually present in the cell. We don't have to have very expensive equipment. We um, don't have to use a labor involved for that. And ultimately, on the same uh, microscopes that we're doing daily motility analysis on the CASAs, um, having this label-free technology borrowed from the cancer side um, that we can look at a plethora of, of biomarkers without actually putting them in there. Um, I think that's gonna be a, a big step for, for the board uh, industry. Um, and that'll be a, a really pivotal for, for titrating doses in the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Um, some of the other things I think we've heard a lot about as we continue down the discussion routes of antibiotic-free programs is certainly even antibiotics in semen extenders. And so where are we at on that in, as an industry? For sure. So, uh, so far, we've honestly been running underneath the radar of, of keeping antibiotics and extenders, but we know the time and day will eventually come. Um, when we leave, take out the antibiotics, we, we have a bacterial issue, of course. Um, so the, the same uh, ingredients that are needed for, for sperm cells to stay alive are also the, the ingredients to, to multiply bacteria. And so when we're storing semen before we AI the sow or the gilt, we're doing a nice job of keeping the sperm alive, but we're trying to manage the bacterial uh, growth as well. And so inevitably, if we take those antibiotics out, we're going to have bacterial growth. Um, there's only so much sanitation that we can do on, on the boar stud side. There is going to be bacteria present. So one of the, the newest ways of going about it um, that looks promising is really the hypothermic storage. And so storing the, the semen almost at a refrigeration-like temperature, um, lower than the, the traditional 15, uh, 15 to 17 degrees Celsius that we're seeing used today. Um, and what that does is uh, when the, the extenders are, are created to, to support the sperm survival at that standpoint, and there are extenders out there for that, um, but it decreases the ability for bacteria to grow. And so I think that's likely the, the, the strongest area that we have going on in the future um, at this moment for, for getting around the, the antibiotics. Mm -hmm. So how would that look in a barn if I have them in a hyperthermic state, or hypothermic state and then I'm bringing them out, would I have to have them in a warm water bath? Can I put them out on room temperature? Have we looked at that yet? Yeah, so there's been quite a bit of research done on that. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't focused on that myself. I work more on the sperm biomarkers. Um, but to my understanding, you can go straight into to insemination and use it right away. Yeah. Okay, well, that'd be very interesting then, because right, that, that middle step of having to warm it up, I think would be a little bit of a challenge on most farms. So I think if you yep. can take it right out and and put it into the sow, that would be very beneficial. Yep, but we, we will see that there's a, a cool down curve that we have to follow uh, appropriately for that. So we will have to change incubators out so that we can tell the incubator, hey, the semen has arrived, start gradually cooling it down. Um, that is one of the big things that we'll have to change. Yep. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So as you know, nutrition's my passion. 
Um, is there anything on the nutrition front that we should be thinking about? So gosh, yeah. over the years, we've looked at so many different things um, in terms of fatty acids and uh, particularly how do we address heat stress? And um, a lot of times it was, you know, don't put anything fancy in the boar diets, keep them very simple because the boars are of course very sensitive to any changes that we make. And so try to keep it as constant for as long as possible. So anything yeah. that you're hearing out there in terms of boar nutrition that, that people should be thinking about? Yeah, I won't talk any uh, product names per se, but just generally speaking, um, omega-3s are important. So uh, sperm cells have quite a bit of lipids in them. Um, and we don't know as much about the lipid profile and, and boar sperm that we should know. Uh, but we do know that certain lipid uh, supplements will, will increase sperm production. Um, likewise, on the zinc side, we've known for oh, centuries probably that zinc is a fertility boosting supplement. Um, and for so long, we didn't know why. Uh, we eventually found out that zinc is a cofactor for testosterone. So we need that to increase our sperm cell counts. Uh, but then also at the molecular level, we're starting to understand how zinc plays a, a pivotal role in regulating fertilization competency. Um, so, so zinc, uh, lipids, and, and it looks like uh, there, there's people excited about some herbal uh, supplements as well um, that might be increasing uh, fertility and, and sperm cell counts as well. How about for heat stress? Are we hearing anything that, that seems to be effective for heat stress? Because I know some of our uh, listeners are in very hot parts of the world that yeah. Don't have the luxury of seeing a winter, winter months like we would here. For sure. So the the easy answer is air conditioning. Um, we're seeing more and more boar studs have air conditioning uh, built, and so you can't just do traditional air conditioning that we would do in in the homes. Um, we have to do uh, tandem air conditioning, where you have one air conditioner that cools down air outside of the building, uh, starts to cool it down a little bit. And then a second air conditioner right after that to cool it down even more, because uh, in traditional uh, HVAC systems we're certainly recirculating the air. Um, the reason we can't do that in these barn situations is that we're going to start tearing up the coils and, and having a limited lifespan of those air conditioning units. Uh, air conditioning is expensive though, and so um, there's definitely an economics to, to pencil out to all that. Um, some people have found that it, it works for their their setup. Um, Otherwise, there, there's new research being done, uh, particularly by John Parrish. He's shown that PG600 might be effective at, at decreasing some of the, the heat stress effects that we see. Very interesting. Yeah, I know I've seen a few new facilities, particularly as we've, we've moved into the positive pressure mode, being able to, of course, put those air conditioning units in. And I know they've been effective. I was just curious as to you know, if there's anything else or or where the industry was currently thinking. So that's that's very interesting. And, and I joke, there's there's quite a bit, of, there's probably over 50% of the boards in the US that have a better climate in, in the summertime than than a lot of office buildings do, so. <laughs> boards are very well taken care of, that's yes. for sure. <laughs> yes. uh. So um, as we think about those boards, um, you know, I have lots of questions and I've, I've given some of our, our previous guests a hard time, you know, because I, I look at it and I've done genetic studies and we talk indexing and boy, indexing from one company is not the same as the other. And how do you start to measure things effectively, particularly at the production level? So at the sow barn level. So what would be some tips and, and um, techniques, if you would, to kind of help our farm staff understand what's coming into their barns from you know, sure. fertility and genetic capability and so forth. Yeah. So firstly, 
most boar studs today won't be shipping out semen that's bad. They, they don't mean to ship out bad semen, um, but that doesn't mean that you are getting good semen either. It could remember that transportation time point. Um, so it's always good to look at the, the uh, sperm motility when you receive it. Um, take the temperature of, of the, the gel packs that were with the semen, as well as the, the temperature of the semen when it arrives. Um, recording that every day at a minimum, if you're not going to look at motility, would, would be very good. Um, but then if you do get a chance to look at motility, just make sure you're keeping aware of, of how that extender works with, with the semen. Um, ask the bore stud what kind of extender they're using, if they'll tell you, and, and how they recommend looking at motility. Because um, different extenders warm up differently. Um, some of them out there need 20 minutes to warm up to 37C um, before you can check the motility properly. And so oftentimes people will look at the motility right out of the incubator um, and they don't look very motile. Well, that's because the semen extenders were made so that they would conserve the energy. Um, and you won't really see that until they warm up. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Um, what about the difference between ship semen and maybe semen that was just transported in a courier that morning? Are there any differences that we should be aware of? Any challenges there? Sure. So uh, ideally, the carrier will, will have a better uh, temperature storage and whatnot. Um, when you're having it shipped overnight, uh, they're typically increase the number of cells in that dose uh, because we know that there may not be the exact temperature that we need. A lot of these extenders have more forgiveness than we give them credit for uh, in, in shipment, especially the, the better extenders out there on the market. Uh, they have all kinds of antioxidants and, and membrane protectors. So um, just to say that sh overnight shipped semen isn't as good as carrier Sure, but the semen extenders are, are quite good today and protecting us for that. So um, that's the main difference in, in those two scenarios. And I saw we certainly have seen the, the length of the extenders as far as how long we can use semen extend further and further. So I think that's a very good point. Um, anything else that our listeners should be thinking about in terms of, of bores? Because again, most of us don't really see the bore. We just get the packages in. And, and I think it's important, yeah. one, if you're in the bore studs to, you know, to hear practices and things we should be thinking about, but then also on the South Farm level, things to think about. So any other tips or, or tricks you want to share with us today? Yeah, I think uh, mainly definitely take the temperature of the semen when it arrives. Um, if, if that's the, the, the one thing you take away from this conversation, um, recording the temperature upon arrival, that way you have a log to go back to and, and some uh, easy way of looking at it. Uh, bore studs oftentimes will look at the motility multiple days afterwards and, and make a phone call if, if the motility is going down in case you don't get a look at it yourself. Um, but I think the main takeaway is, is that we're all in this together. And so um, sometimes there's pushback of, of decreasing the sperm cells on, on the per dose side. Um, but let's keep in mind for the entire picture that uh, decreasing the sperm dose um, allows us to, to get better genetic leverage, um, use those higher end bores, um, and ultimately finish better. And, and the, the total economics of the situation um, is favorable for that. And so um, going on in the future, I know no one wants to, to see their, their numbers change and whatnot, um, but it, it's the team approach. We'll, we'll have to continue to push, push the lever there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What about how often we should send semen out for third-party evaluations or documentations of effectiveness? Sure. Yeah. So that's, uh, I would get in touch with these third-party testing sites and, and they have good recommendations for that. Um, sometimes they'll just do have you do spot checking 
And so you can either have that sent directly from the bore stud you're working with, um, or you can ship it from, from your own facility. One thing to keep in mind if you're shipping it from your own facility is that we had one stressing event that the cement extenders usually can, can uh, hold the, the sperm up for, but get, putting them into a second stressful event, shipping them from the south farm isn't as ideal. So I understand the, the desire to be like spontaneous checking and not letting your bore stud know, um, but at the same time, you're likely to get higher, likely to get worse results uh, because they're going through that second uh, shipping event. Um, so definitely try to work with your bore stud to do that if you wanted to do that. Um, and and that's that's the main thing I would say on that. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that some of our audience may not understand is what the third party group does. Because uh, I know when I've worked with them in the past, they will hold semen for, you know, five, six, seven days or longer based on what extender yep. they're using and, and retest that throughout. Is, is there anything else that our audience should be thinking about that the third party groups can do besides the immediate, I'm going to check motility morphology and, and verify yeah. that they've got a, a good dose? So I would definitely be checking uh, some of these biomarkers out. Uh, we know that even though the semen uh, after day five, day six, they, they look like they're modal, they have good motility. Uh, the problem with it is that they have a shortened uh, lifespan because they've gone through early stages of sperm capacitation. Um, and that's basically to say, like, if you started a, if you had a firework, and you started, you lit it, um, that fuse is even shorter. And so they still have motility and everything, but they won't last as long after we inseminate with them. Um, and so if you're wanting to use semen that's a little bit older, um, make sure the, the extenders are supporting the, the long-term shelf life um, beyond the, the, the motility that we're looking at. Mm -hmm. Which biomarkers would you consider? Yeah, so I would uh, um, definitely uh, acrosome status. So oftentimes that's using a lectin PNA, um, but also looking at plasma membrane integrity, um, zinc uh, localization as well, um, and, and calcium. Those are the, the main four, I would say. Okay, wonderful. Well, Carl, I think you've given us a lot of good insight, and I know we've kind of jumped around a little bit between what boar studs are doing and what we can do at the South Farm. And, and of course, we hit a little bit on nutrition. Uh, we didn't really talk much about health. Uh, I think um, in general, we expect our bores to be negative for a lot of diseases. And with the filtration, we, we would anticipate that they stay that way. Um, and then routine testing, of course, to, to lead into that. Is there anything else on the health side that, that I'm missing that we should be discussing today? Oh, oftentimes bore studs are testing regularly. Um, we know that that's the, the tip top of, of the pyramid for health status. And so uh, a lot of them are, are either pooling semen together so that they can see if an entire uh, sample is negative. And then if they do get a positive, they can uh, dissect that pool out and see which bore is, is positive for whatever disease of choice we're, we're looking after. Um, but I would talk with the bore stud that you're working with and, and make sure they are testing. Um, and, and if not, finding ways that you can get your semen tested before you use it. So one last question I have for you is um, in the south side, because that's, of course, the, the part of the, the production system that I like to talk about a lot. We've been dealing a lot with um, prolapses, as you know, discussions around agalactia, uh, late finishing lameness. And so is there anything that's kind of popping up on the boar side that that we as an industry should be mindful of that we need to be addressing? Yeah, there's some really exciting science coming out on that side. And, and so 
Um, not all of it's published yet. Some of it's being peer reviewed. So I don't want to allude to what that's coming out. Uh, but we should probably be keeping in mind that every time we're inseminating, we're also perhaps changing the microbiota environment. Uh, we're introducing new bacteria from, from the boar stud and from the boar itself. We're introducing antibiotics that could be really skewing the, the microbiota environment. Um, so I, I think there's some exciting things that will be coming out on that in the future um, and, and definitely some low hanging fruit that people are identifying. Perfect. Well, we'll definitely keep our eyes out for that. It is time to our famous three. Since 1971, Zinpro Corporation has focused on one thing, trace mineral nutrition. As the most research proven organic feed trace mineral products in the industry, Zinpro Performance Minerals deliver performance and profitability to swine operations around the globe. To know more, go to zinpro.com. NutriQuest delivers targeted breakthrough solutions to animal producers via nutritional and non-nutritional products, services, and technologies. At NutriQuest, we believe in ingenuity inspired by service and that our success comes from helping producers realize improved profitability through optimized technology and efficient operation. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. Well, as we kind of wrap up today, we'd like to ask our guest speaker a few extra questions. I know we've bombarded you with a bunch already, but we have three that we like to ask every guest speaker. Uh, yeah. The first one is really around, um, do you have a swine resource book that you kind of consider your go-to when you have questions? Yeah, sadly, we don't have a good swine resource for the boar side. Um, uh, if I think of, of basics, uh, going back to morphology, uh, Dr. Oko from Queen's University uh, in Canada um, has a nice uh, bull morphology uh, book. And so I, usually that's where I start people out at. And, and bull sperm and, and boar sperm have, have a lot of the same uh, deformities. And so oftentimes I, I go to the cattle side for, for that. So maybe I hear a, a potential book in the future that you're going to author, right? Yeah, we, <laughs> we need to do that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so how about in your spare time? Are there any uh, books that you would recommend to our readers that aren't related to pigs? Sure. So uh, I'm a big Tim Ferriss fan. So Tim Ferriss has his own podcast as well as a series of books, uh, whether it's a four hour work week or, or four hour body um, or tools for Titans, uh, particularly with tools for Titans, where he interviews uh, high level performers and, and CEOs and just gets an idea of what does their normal day look like? What what routines work well for them? Um, so I really appreciate uh, looking at all the advice that Tim Ferriss has curated together. Mm hmm. That's a great resource for our audience. Thank you for that one. Uh, lastly, we like to ask you, if you think about somebody who you in your mind has, you've defined as successful. Um, so somebody in the industry that, that you in your mind can picture as successful, what key characteristic or trait stands out about them that you think has helped them become successful? Yeah, so I think being able to, to future cast and, and see what is the consumer wanting? What is the consumer needing? Um, and then how do we work backwards from that? And so uh, we always need to keep in mind we're, we're creating a product, that, that product being pork, um, and ultimately uh, that the judge is the consumer, whether they're going to buy beef, whether they're going to buy chicken or pork underneath the, the case. Um, and we know that the center of the cut uh, pork is not a high number, uh, less than, well, I think, less than two per year. Um, 
less than two meals per year um, people are eating for pork as center of the cut outside of breakfast. Um, and so anyone that can can look forward to future casting and, and looking at what the consumer wants, um, I have great respect for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've heard that one a lot lately is the the forward thinkers, thinkers and the people who can think outside the box just a little bit um, to push people forward has been a very popular thought around what makes people successful. Well, I do want to thank you again for your time. I know you're a busy individual, um, so thank you for your insight. Uh, From what I hear today, we need to be thinking about biomarkers, whether it's biomarkers to predict which boars are going to be successful in the breeding barns or biomarkers to help us understand uh, how well the semen is doing in terms of storage and, and proper use after collection. Uh, So I think that's really insightful and it gives us a lot to think about. So thank you again, Dr. Kearns, for your time today. Well, thank you for having me. Have a great day. You too. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.